Want to bring your team to Mumbrella 360 2022? Why not take advantage of the group discounts and save $4,903? How's that for great value? You must act fast as the group bookings are being snapped up quickly and super early bird tickets are running low. Secure your discounted tickets today by booking at mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and apologies up front for the extraordinarily croaky voice uh, this week. Turns out that as soon as you send your kids back to school and daycare, you come down with an immediate and significant cold, and it's quite horrendous. But I'll, I'll carry on. I'll, I'll struggle through uh, for the greater good of media and marketing news, and, and to help me break that down this week as I bunker down in, in my house, uh, wrapped up in a, a very strong blanket, is uh, Mumbrella's managing editor, Olivia Crimmel. Hello, Damien. And my brother cast producer and journalist in the freezing cold, apparently, Melbourne, Callum Jasmine. Hello, Damo. It looks, uh, looks like a T-shirt to me from here, but... <laughs> this is why we don't record this on video, right? Let's move on swiftly. Later on in the podcast, Liv is going to be chatting with Katie James, head of digital at Flybys, about the importance of user privacy to Flybys. Um, we probably have a few different teams that will touch on privacy in, in some way because it's such an important part of um, of what we do. You know, at the end of the day, the point of Flybys is to be able to identify a customer and provide personalised experiences off the back of what we know about them. The sensitivity that comes with handling users' first-party data. If the data points that you're connecting are so subtle that it makes a person feel uncomfortable about how you work that out, you've probably pushed it too far. Whereas there's still a number of high-value activities that drive the right outcomes for our partners and for our members that don't push that boundary too far. And learning following the split from Coles. I do think that if, if I could go back now and address that, we would phase out the scaling over a longer period of time. I think we tried to go from um, zero to 100 in terms of team growth too quickly. But before we get to that, Cal, the news of the week. This week, we're going to be digging into what have so far been our two most read stories of the week, Damo. Um, those being Omnicom Media Group appointing dual CEOs at Australia's biggest media agency, OMD and the changes going over at SCA's Triple M with the departure of two big names in the matter of weeks. We'll see how the station is looking towards the end of the year and whether the changes touch on a wider conversation going on in regards to radio. Omnicom Media Group appointed OMD Managing Director Laura Neese and Chief Digital Officer Sean Whitnell as co-CEOs this week ending several months of industry speculation around who would be replacing Group M-bound Amy Buchanan. CEO of OMG Peter Horgan said that the appointment of co-CEOs follows a history of success with leadership partnerships at OMD, and given the size and scale of OMD Australia, there is no better time to revisit this winning formula. The appointments continue a bit of a trend at OMD of CEOs coming from internal promotions rather than external recruitments. Both Buchanan and Horgan before that were promoted into the role. The agency said that the elevation is a testament to OMD's commitment to offer its people growth opportunities and to the bench strength of the national leadership team. The big talking point, of course, was whether or not co-CEOs would work for such a large agency with a big reputation. Their Mumbrella's media agency of the decade, no less so, 
Let's start with the details. Cal, uh, how is the CEO role going to be split in the case of OMD? I think it's still relatively unclear at this stage uh, how how the actual split is going to work in terms of you know who takes who takes what responsibility. As you said there, Damo, they do um, have a have a history not just OMD but OMG more generally of um, promoting people into roles, uh, and Laura was promoted from the managing director role, which she also shared with Kim Hamilton. Um, so, you know, she she has kind of been in that shared senior position role before. Um, Horgan there touching on uh, a history of success with leadership partnerships, probably um, going back to when he himself was in a, a shared managing director role uh, alongside Lee Terry, of course, both of them going on to um, to lead Omnicom Media Group uh, nationally. I, I guess this this came about. It, it was a number of things when Buchanan was announced to be leaving in July. Horgan had made clear um, several times that he was casting the net pretty wide in terms of in terms of who he wanted to appoint to replace Amy, um, and in doing that was was pretty keen on um on doing so with another a, a high profile f- female as he said himself um in this case you have two um both of them coming from pretty senior positions within OMD so i guess it could be seen as sort of um steadying the ship uh, of sorts um but as you as you maybe mentioned um in terms of the big talking point being whether or not co-CEOs do work uh there isn't a particularly bright history uh in, in recent terms in, in in terms of um co-CEOs you know we look back to um I guess, well I guess you could point to Kim and Laura being a success in terms of MDs considering that was the case until one of them was promoted, but um, two recent ones, and then, you know, we, we did mention this in the, the article, so it's probably not worth spending too much time on. But um, in terms of national CEOs, when WPP consolidated um, White Agency and Grey Group into White Grey, Paul Warboys and Miles um, Joyce pretty much lasted nine months each um, together. And they left within a couple of weeks of each other. And then the other one was um, when VLM and YNR were brought together to uh, to form um, VM, VLM YNR. Um, Boslikovsky lasted about seven months, and Aiden Hepburn followed him just a month later. So I just want to hear you say VML YNR again. I think you've got a few of those letters mixed up. I hear they're talking about adding a few more letters on there. So why not? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I guess it's it's a, it's a tricky one, and you know you you probably won't. Um, it, it'll be difficult to get you know a, a real in depth kind of step to step how the appointment was made. But um, I guess the question is is it uh, you know something that's been discussed in a few places? Is it a short term fix? or a long-term fix, you've obviously got the benefit of one of them coming from the more kind of functional side of the agency and then one coming from the more kind of client side of the agency. So I guess it will be interesting to see how they kind of split that role. 
Yeah, let me jump in there because I think that's a really important point is, is how they split that role, but what you were saying before of coming from two different uh, two different areas, two different angles. I think it's very easy to be quite insular on looking at the media and marketing industry only, for example, and seeing how co-CEOs uh, have or, or generally haven't worked uh, at the moment. And a lot of them, like you were sort of mentioning before, Cal, were kind of marriages of convenience uh, rather than something that businesses had really put a lot of thought into and thought that the two people would be quite complementary of each other. I think in this case, it, something that's been going on in the US quite a bit recently, and actually, and this kind of going to go to your point a bit uh, before as well, you know, some of these big companies, Oracle, Pirelli, SAP, Netflix, among others, have tried co-CEOs. So a, a lot of them have, have dissolved uh, but the point of uh, a lot of the research in the US, particularly around the benefits of co-CEOs, is saying that if you get those two people with different skill sets, and then you can share out the role of the CEO a lot better, which is pretty important when it comes to media agencies in particular, where we, we know that the amount of uh, work that they're doing outside of what the scope of the media agency was five, 10 years ago is significant now. There's a lot more to it than what it used to be. So getting a digital expert, for example, like Sean Whitnell, uh, could be a, a pretty good thing and, and to have her focus potentially on that side more than anything else in her co-CEO role. Um, but uh, Inseed's done a lot, of, uh, a lot of research on it and, and I'm going to paraphrase parts of the the research coming out of there, which is essentially saying it's a lot about interpersonal processes, soft skills, leadership, personality, corporate culture, and national culture. And so I guess when you apply that to OMD and you look at the corporate culture, which, you know, they've provided a fair few examples of how they've been able to manage uh, co-leadership structures, the national culture, maybe that's not so uh, apparent in our market anyway, but then the leadership personalities, there's potential that this uh, could work uh, quite well. So, look, let, let's see. But it, it is interesting to see such a large agency go that way. Uh, Liv, I'm sure you've got a few uh, ideas on this as well. Yes, the one thing that I was going to raise, Damien, which hasn't been discussed as yet in all of this, is the pay. You now have got two senior people with CEO in their title, which you would expect comes with a substantial pay bump. So either the agency is now spending more on that senior role as opposed to having one person in it, or those two are being paid substantially less than their predecessor, which also doesn't seem quite right. So while it might be a, a nice trend and keep the peace internally for a while with regards to having, you know, both candidates who can do the role quite well stepping up into that co-management position, the long-term impact is, yeah, what what's going to be the ramifications then at a pay level in particular? Is it going to cost the business more? Have they not got the pay that's deserved, etc. So that that's something else worth considering when these uh, announcements are made. I think um, speaking to a few people in regards to this, you know, you uh, something really interesting came up, and this was, I guess, there was that you look at their sister agency, PhD, um, who recently had a, a restructure of their senior leadership team. Um, they also had joint managing directors in um, Lucy Formosa Morgan and Stuart Bailey. And then 
you know, the, the changes that happened there resulted in Stuart Bailey being promoted and Lucy left the agency. I think you you kind of have these decisions that you have to make at a certain point. What someone said to me, is it worth making one person really unhappy and everyone else is really happy? Or you kind of try and balance a few things and what you end up with is no one is really satisfied. I think the the really interesting thing kind of seeing, you know, Liv, you mentioned there is how it kind of progresses in terms of inter- not only pay, but kind of who can, who kind of sinks to, sorry, rises to the top in terms of, you know, are they trialing out both of them in the role? They're going to see who works. And then when you look at the actual dealing with clients, I think the impression that I've got and I've kind of, uh, I know it's kind of conflicts a little bit, but I think traditionally across the OMD structure, they've kind of allocated clients to a few different people and, you know, they kind of take them on in terms of responsibility. Um, But then again, you know, Amy was also very kind of hands-on in terms of her kind of influence across the agency. And I know Hogs is as well on a kind of group level. So I think people will kind of be looking at this as in, you know, how does the agency really get any bigger as it currently is? Because you look at some of the clients that they've got, they've got the VicGov, New South Wales government, they've got Qantas, Belong, Suncorp, just to, to kind of name a few that, that they kind of have, you know, they've got their bases covered in most of the um, major categories. I guess, uh, as a source said to me in, in the industry, people will be looking at those accounts, not, you know, that any of them are coming up right now, but they'll be kind of be saying the more likely of the two rather than the little room you have to grow is that maybe you see a, a touch of decline there. But I mean, that, that I'm, wouldn't happen to have come from a, a competitive agency by any chance. Would no, it yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have. No, it's an, an independent source. I'm just going mean, to get out there with the devil's yeah. advocate speaking <laughs> and poking. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, with, with the great job that Amy – uh, has done in those kind of five years in charge with and they've kind of exponentially grown who knows maybe she was thinking um where can i take the agency from here what's the next step speaking of next steps and i'm going to warn you there's a terrible pun coming up but i'm really proud of it, it it's a great dad joke we're going to be talking about the changes that triple m as the moon man blasts off <laughs> At the start of the week, SCA released a very brief message announcing that Triple M breakfast host Lawrence Moonman Mooney had departed the show with SCA, now setting on Mark Geyer alongside Jess Eva and Chris Page as the new host lineup. This follows the departure of Mick Malloy a fortnight ago with the station, then announcing its slate of new rush hour drive shows locally replacing Malloy. These are some pretty big changes to Triple M's lineup after a year where results have not been particularly great for the station and the fallout from Moon Man's departure seems to be growing. Cal, what's the latest on the Triple M and Moon Man situation? So this kind of um, emerged at the start of the week and after SCA sent out a very, very brief um, release, as you said there, um, basically saying, uh, Lawrence Mooney has uh, left the show. We thank him for his five years of service, and that was about that was about all we heard from that camp. Uh, we've approached SCA for comment, and they're they're definitely not engaging in that at the moment. Um, obviously, there are some kind of headlines floating around, and 
after doing a bit of talking around the industry, we, there's some alleged uh, kind of um, off-the-record allegations um, that he has been behaving, I guess, in a in a, in a inappropriate way towards, um, in the, I guess, in the workplace, which has led to the current situation that we see. Um, he was off air for two weeks prior to the announcement, um, and uh, you know, I, I haven't been listening to the show every day, but. Again, from all accounts, there was no mention of him being off the show. It was just kind of business as usual. Um, Mark Geyer uh, was brought in. He, he was announced to be joining um, Mooney and the existing lineup for 2022. So there was going to be four people on that show, which is obviously now um, gone down to three with Geyer, who was a previous breakfast show host on Triple M in Sydney, now um, kind of fronting that. And the, 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 as far as I understand, the new show name confirmed for 2022 is MG, Jason, Chris. Um, I think Mark was brought in to add a bit of a kind of a bit more of a sports context to the show, um, which you are also kind of seeing across there their newly announced um, drive programming after Malloy left. That was also announced last week. Um, and maybe maybe that is a result of them trying to consolidate on the kind of core audience that we normally associate to Triple M. But I guess we are going to get a bit more into Triple M um, in specific. Yeah, look, they've just done or they had recently done some pretty significant promotions uh, around moon man on on outdoor and and things like that there was a lot of money being pumped into uh, promoting that show and and as we've talked about that the ratings haven't quite been where they needed to be uh cal buyer's perspective i know you've talked to uh, a few buyers out there in in market but triple m seems to be uh, at a bit of a crossroads at the moment, how is this affecting the, the thoughts on them in the market? Yeah, so I mean, it is a tricky one because at the moment, with the the kind of Mooney stuff um, being very much up in the air, I don't know if if many people are really wanting to kind of put their put their thoughts publicly until it kind of all the dust settles of sorts. Um, I did have a buyer say to me that they thought that um, Triple M had kind of lost their way a little bit. Um, and and that uh, you know we we did cover on the radio ratings last week, but um, this year they've kind of seen their share kind of fall quite significantly in the middle of the year, and then sort of plateau as we come to the end of the year. And you know this is something that we've spoken about all year, where FM stations have taken a bit of a hit. Um, but as, as speaking to um, Steve Allen from PM and uh, Media. Um, he he kind of gave me the impression that he he thought that SCA have kind of dealing with a few issues at the moment, and um, you know they're under pressure with their programming, particularly in Sydney. Um, and you know now other in Melbourne, you've still got that a little bit more consistency going into the new year. But now switching out your drive and breakfast programming, which are your two most important programs of the year. I think they wanted to really kind of f- focus on fixing the problems before kind of being on the front foot. And that is, as we've seen with Dave Cameron, um, I guess, being a bit more quiet in terms of the the, the, the media approach. But I think he, he was confident, Steve in particular, that um, Triple M could get a hold of this. But, you know, as these things happen uh, with, you, you know, what you just talk about with kind of going out and promoting and then also the, the host getting bedded in. We probably won't see those results for about six to 12 months. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel a bit sorry for <laughs> uh, Triple M and SEA at the moment. 11 seems to be the unlucky number because um, we also had Malloy earlier this, you know, this month announced that he's stepping back and after 11 years and it was the hot breakfast um, last year announced that it was ending after 11 years. So <laughs> maybe it is time for a shakeup at the, at the station. Perhaps all of these departures are, are actually a good thing for it and it needs some fresh blood to come in and, and revitalize it um, for the listeners. But uh, yeah, definitely if you're Dave Cameron, you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, what, what next is going to be thrown at this poor station? Liv, there were reports that the remuneration of Moon Man in particular was surprisingly high for someone in that position. I, I believe there were reports of it initially starting around the $750,000 per annum mark and then moving significantly north of that. One would suggest the economics uh, of that are quite hard to justify. What, what are your thoughts on on that? Well, especially with you know share dropping and, and audience cum dropping, you would imagine that someone being paid that much, um, there would be questions asked at senior levels. Having said that, I guess a lot of the talent in the Australian market, and we've seen this across TV and also radio, a lot of it just comes down to how good a negotiator either the individual or their representatives are. So the fact that, you know, he has been there for a long time, um, maybe just a, a fact that then that's why his pay was so substantial. Again, with, you know, with other talent in the market leaving the station, obviously you've got, you know, money there to tap into then so as others left triple m that perhaps gave those who remained a a chance to say well you know if you want me to stick around you're going to have to pay for it so um it it is surprising but also not that uncommon i fear that that is is actually very um common in the market and because it is a you know relatively tight market when it comes to radio talent i think that the networks unfortunately sometimes just have to agree to those expectations when it comes to dollars yeah i I was actually um doing a little bit of research into trying to find out how that that kind of proposed figure stacks up across the industry and i guess the big one that you'd probably expect uh, kyle and jackie O. um and i i think the number that i read I, i i apologize if i've taken this figure from somewhere i can't actually remember where i read it but there was they're on five million each and you also had Kyle going around, kind of talking around about how they'd signed the biggest contract in radio history or something along those lines. And then I, I guess around uh, another couple that were quoted around the millions figure, you know, you have Marty Sheargold, Ray Hadley, Neil Mitchell, Fifi Box, Sam Pang, and then obviously Mick Malloy. And then you're not even getting into the kind of Ben Fordham and um, Russell Howcroft sphere there. Um, I, I actually had a, a quite an interesting perspective put to me by another buyer when try, to kind of trying to um, assess whether or not the figures that some of these individuals are kind of paid, you know, they, if they if they really earn that. And the perspective that I got was that radio at the moment actually presents quite an interesting proposition for brands, um, something that. Um, brands could really be looking to get value out of. So if you really get it right, a a brand has the potential to really get value out of radio. 
And radio kind of presents this opportunity for brands to kind of be really successfully integrated into shows. And that's where the value from presenters really come from. So when you do get those individuals that can kind of maximize that and present it in a really palatable way, there is almost this kind of emotional connection to radio ads, which you really can't get with, for example, out of home or on digital or programmatic, those kind of things. So with with a channel like Triple M, where you have these kind of traditional um, categories that will tend to kind of know that audience, sort of gambling, sports, something like Maccas or tools, uh, there, there really is an opportunity there to kind of maximize that 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 investment. I refuse to believe, Callum, that programmatic isn't personal. How dare you suggest that? Have you never had an emotional programmatic connection? Apparently not enough of them, but uh, coming up next, I'm going to get in touch with Moon Man's agent to renegotiate my contract while Liv will be chatting to Flyby's Katie James. Joining me for today's Mumbrella cast is Katie James, Head of Digital at Flyby's. Katie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I was wondering, Katie, if we could give our audience, just at a basic level, a quick overview of what Flybys is and uh, and perhaps, you know, uh, an update on how many members the Flybys community consists of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Flybys is, you know, at its heart, a loyalty program that connects uh, some of Australia's biggest retailers to um, their customers that come in every single day. Um, so our members really make up your everyday Australians doing their everyday shopping um, at places like Coles and Liquorland and Kmart and others. So we have around 8 million members at the moment and we're continuing to grow. Um, we've got big aspirations to keep growing in that space. So really what that means is that one third of Australians um, are a part of the Flybys program. Uh, and very importantly, when we talk about um, our members and our 8 million number, that, that's about being active as well. So for someone to be counted as a member of Flybys, they have to have collected points at least once in the last 12 months. So that's the number of people who've been active with Flybys in the last 12 months. Okay. And your role is obviously head of digital. Can you tell me a little bit about the role of the marketing and digital function at Flybys and I suppose what the key aims for those divisions are within the overall business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, interestingly in our structure, Flybys and Flybys, digital and marketing are in slightly different parts of the organisation um, and that's kind of by design because of what we do. So the digital team actually sits within technology. So we work very closely with the engineers and the data scientists and the data engineers and um, all of those technology people to bring to life digital solutions for our marketing team. And so our marketing team operate like many other marketing teams. They're out there running brand campaigns. They're doing lead generation activity and they're driving the message of flybys to our members. What we're doing is working as really one of their critical enablement functions to provide them with digital solutions, whether that be an experience, something that we do in the app, a tracking capability, a personalization piece. Um, we're providing those solutions that allow marketing to continue to scale their activity and deliver more campaigns and more activity to market. Okay. And you mentioned that, you know, 8 million active members. That is a lot of members to keep tabs on. And, and you mentioned there the app as well. What what are some of those, I suppose, key um, provisions that the digital function provides then and for members? And then, you know, to your point about growing membership. 
Yep. So we look after um, all of the digital assets. So we look after the two primary assets that our members interact with are the Flybys app and the Flybys website. And then what we do internally is we break down the features that are available in that app into a few different teams. So when you're talking about something like join, we've really grouped together the ability to join the program, the ability to log in, the ability to view your profile and understand how you interact program all of that's to do with acquiring a member and we have a product team and a digital team who are wholly dedicated to working on that particular capability so the kind of work we would do with marketing is continue to optimize that funnel so look at where are people dropping off what pain points are we seeing within that actual funnel of how people join the program um, where do we have tracking in place how can we understand in a richer way how your campaign activity is helping to drive those numbers um, and then we look at the further iterations or improvements to those programs that um, might be needed so, um, you know, with login, it might be, okay, at the moment, we only provide the ability to log in with an email address and password, but people would like to use mobile number or people would like to use sign in with Facebook or those kind of capabilities. So that's the part where it's almost a joint partnership with marketing, looking at what do we offer today? What are the list of things we could do tomorrow? And what value do you think we, like, we can drive with those? Because we have UX design within our space as well, that when we get to that value question, we do a lot of customer testing. So um, we'll look at a you know multi-year roadmap of things we could do and then start to break down from a customer perspective um, what's going to drive the biggest impact, the biggest outcome. What are people screaming at us the most that they'd really like to see next to the program? And of course, you're, you mentioned the you know, email address, phone number. Uh, data and, and personal data is such a big topic at the moment and, and particularly privacy and security around that. Is that something your team is particularly um, concerned with at the moment and are there any actions within the team at the moment to address those topics? Yeah, we've been, we're actually working on something right now um, within that space. Um, we probably have a few different teams that will touch on privacy in, in some way because it's such an important part of um, of what we do. You know, at the end of the day, the point of flybys is to be able to identify a customer and provide them personalised experiences off the back of what we know about them. Um, so I think that most things that we build have a lens of um, does a customer, does a member see this as a fair and transparent process, and do they get um, do they get reasonable value in return for what they're giving up? So um, we're going through a slight change at the moment. You might have seen in the market we've got some new partners coming into the program, um, and when those partners come on board, we're also making some changes to how the big retailers within our program um, can communicate with our customers. And so what the digital team has done is work very hard on what level of experience we need to deliver to a customer to explain to them what's changing and give them the right level of control as to what they will and won't use in that program. Um, I think brands that do um, that are going to go really well in this world where data and privacy is more prevalent are the brands who are prepared to be really open and transparent around what they would like to offer to a customer, but are also prepared to give that customer a choice to say, no. Um, and that's what we've been working on at the moment is what is that balance between the two where um, we want to add new features and uh, like features and offers to the program that require us to make a change. Um, how do we show you that you're going to get that value in practice but still let you control whether you see that value or not and whether you'd like to keep engaging? Um, and that really comes down to, you know, getting to a granular level of what can people opt in, in for, what can they opt out, for, out of, and how do you continue to engage with them in the way that's most relevant to them, um, which includes being respectful of what they do and don't want to share. Yes, well, you, you mentioned the you know, personal <laughs> choice and, you know, flybys, I suppose, was um, a visionary in regards to the importance of first party data, which is, you know, what, what flybys has built its platform on. 
Um, are there, have you seen any significant changes in terms of how consumers and, and members are uh, engaging with the platform in terms of the the volume of data or the sorts of data that they're willing to to share? Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely changed a lot. And while flybys is like that's exactly how, how I would describe it. We're we're very lucky that the move towards first party data is really the bread and butter of what we do. But it doesn't change the fact that we've also had to adapt quite quickly to some fundamental technology changes. Um, you know, the the removal of third party cookies and the advertiser ID by iOS still has a practical impact on on everybody because even though it might not be the only identifier it has, if it's the one we're using, we need to change and we need to move away from these things. So um, it certainly has had an, an impact at that level in terms of we've still had to shift some things in our app and in our processes. Um, but it's also meant that we can build richer relationships directly with people like publishers. So we do a lot of first party data matching with publishers now to allow people to do addressable media on, you know, things like the catch up TV and your dig- and your digitally addressed um, media in those kind of formats. Um, and it's allowed us at the, the member level to start to surface more um, how flybys actually works and how we offer that value back to these partners. So we're in the position that that our members or our really engaged members truly understand. I received this offer because I go to Coles and I buy these particular items and the next offer I've received is relevant to those. And I think probably the slight difference there is that, like, it's almost like I think what comes out in our testing is the creep factor or the creep test. Sometimes you can't really connect the dots on why something ended up in front of you that feels a bit relevant. But say it's your phone that seems to be, you know, everybody's obsession of whether my phone's listening to me and that's how it works out what's going on. If the data points that you're connecting are so subtle that it makes a person feel uncomfortable about how you work that out, you've probably pushed it too far. Whereas there's still a number of high value activities that drive the right outcomes for our partners and for our members that don't push that boundary too far. Um, Flyby's had its, you know, example of this. There's been case studies of this in the US or for, for many years now of, of certain categories. So we're highly sensitive when it comes to categories like um, nappies and newborn items and those kind of parts where if you make really significant leaps and you get it wrong, um, the impact to the member of getting that decision wrong is probably worse than the benefit you would have got for the extra person that you might have got if you took that more ballsy, um, ballsy approach on those. So I think it's probably that balance of both of in flybys most of the time you can truly see why the dots were connected to put something in front of you so you feel more comfortable about it because you're comfortable in what you shared and how you got that in return. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What are some of the changes or pivots that flybys have had to make in the past 12 to 18 months because of those changes, whether it's online shopping or whether it's because of the lack of travel or because you know people aren't able to, to go to certain shops, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, interestingly for us, when you when you think about what Flybys does, um, being in that retail space, travel is really a reward that you can get out of a loyalty program like ours, but not necessarily the driver of how you collect points. So on that side of it, we haven't necessarily shifted hugely because our points collection comes from things like your supermarket shopping and um, your general day-to-day spend. But what's shifted or really significantly shifted initially was the support that our partners actually needed during that time period. So um, people's behaviour in Australia, you know, it was almost amplified. We were at the supermarket significantly more frequently because we couldn't go anywhere else. Um, And so we went from a business that was kind of, you know, in a cycle of just sending you out offers and activity every week for the things that you might buy to sending CEO updates around COVID policies and store closures and 
like, you know, limits on particular stock. And that was a really quick and overnight shift because just fundamentally what our partners needed was a different level of support. They needed to be able to get out to a large um, cohort of their customers very, very quickly and explain what was happening in store. Um, and by having a membership base the size of us, they're actually getting to a really reasonably large cohort of their customers by being able to use our channels to actually um, push those messages out. And I think in particular, it really helps with things like, you know, toilet paper shortages and setting stock limits. Um, it did mean an overnight shift in the offers that we sent out because one of the worst things you could do is send an offer to someone to get points for a particular product and then when they go into store there's no stock available so it wasn't a lack of willingness from our you know brands and suppliers to participate but it came from more of a sense of well let's not let's not offer people things that aren't going to be available when they get there so um, I think it really made us focus in on the loyalty program. Um, Flybys has separated from Coles for about two years now in terms of being its own business still operating for them and I think the biggest thing that we've shifted is that if, you know, if I go back to what our original plans were when we first separated, it was to continue to do what we were doing with the loyalty program because it was going quite well and then go out and explore all these other areas that we could grow or different business verticals. And really that's what's gone on hold because such a sudden shift in what's going on in our day-to-day -day lives has meant that we've had to respond within the loyalty program and make changes to how we um, support both our members and partners during that time and really focus on what they're doing day to day and how the program can help them do that. And so what, um, you know, you mentioned there, there's a, a bunch of different things that you've had to do and, and um, reasons for it. Are there any key ones that you in particular are, are most proud of in terms of obviously having to turn them around really quickly or implementing something with, you know, teams working remotely, et cetera? Um, I think what I'm also really proud of is that during that time frame, we still as flybys managed to grow quite significantly and take on some really big initiatives. So um, during last year, we um, took on the work to rebuild our rewards score, so the way you actually redeem your points end to end from every single back-end technology involved in it through to the front-end experience and the UI that a member sees. Um, we rebuilt that entire system end to end last year. And you can imagine that we went into the new the year planning to do that as a team together within an office space and overnight that opportunity was taken away. Um, and we still managed to deliver that within um, the time period that we were expected in a remote environment and, and really move the dial in terms of how you actually redeem with flybys. Um, and in some respects, it's just being, you know, bringing it up to the standard that people expect for, for e-commerce and, you know, what would happen when you go and look at your fashion retailers. Um, but in a loyalty market where, you know, that's the, that's the space at the end where people um, buy and redeem and it's actually quite unique paying with points. Um, it was a really big piece to be able to deliver end to end. Um, and I guess the other side of it is that's not the only thing we on. You know, we went from a small team within Coles to um, a standalone business with half a dozen different squads very, very quickly. Um, and across many areas of the business, we delivered a lot of change last year. So we rebuilt how customers see offers and we rebuilt this reward store and we launched um, the Shake and Shop game, which is a game that sits in the Flybys app and allows you to collect um, extra offers every day for a set period of time. Um, we were able to do all of these things and make changes in some other areas all within a year where overnight we'd gone from working together to working remotely. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's changed everything. You know, we were, a bit, we were a Melbourne only business and now we have people from all over Australia that work for us because we don't see state borders as a barrier to bringing people into the team anymore.
Yeah, that is definitely one of the advantages of the uh, experience of the past uh, uh, 12 to 18 months, the borderless workforce, which is quite exciting, Um, particularly if you have talent that you're you're wanting to tap into that sit in a particular jurisdiction. So that that makes sense. So you partnered with... uh, Pure Profile to yep. allow members to earn points via completing surveys with Pure Profile. That's just one example of, of a new partner that's been onboarded in the past 12 months. What what are some of the key from a from a digital perspective? What are some of the key fundamentals that you have to undertake in order to have these partners come on board and to order to make the relationship worthwhile for both parties? Yep. Yeah. Um, so Pure Profile is a really interesting one as well because it's a um, one of the great value props to remember on, on that side is is the simple fact that really we're rewarding you for your time. Um, you don't need to you don't need to go and buy anything or pay any any sort of currency to do this. If you're prepared to put some time aside, you'll get reward for that. Um, and while that's unique in that sense, at the starting point of what it means for members, that that's what they're looking for out, out of us. They're looking for um, experiences and value that improves where and how they spend their money. So people are making a choice when they participate with Flywires to be loyal to the brands we operate with um, because by being loyal to the brands that we operate with, they get extra value in return for that spend. Um, so when we're talking to partners, you know, one of the first and most basic things we're talking about is what is that member-facing value prop? If someone's going to present their Flywires card when they come into your store, um, what are they going to get in return? And obviously the very basic of that is the, the one-for-one, you know, getting a dollar for every point that you spend. Um, but if you want to fundamentally change behaviour, um, you've got to do more than that. You know, that's that's almost the hygiene factor. People are like, oh, okay, cool, yep, I'll keep swiping my card because it's better to get no points, you know, get at some points than no points. But if you're starting to look at, okay, I want to use Flybys as a way to get someone who currently only buys um, from our fresh fruit and vegetable section to start thinking about buying within our deli, um, what are the what are the links and patterns that we can see in that? So we would start looking at things like, you know, well, what are the common links between people who shop in both categories and can we find those in the people who haven't yet and start to target them? So the value exchange for the member is I'm getting a richer points value for going and buying a particular thing. And, you know, the best versions of that are the ones where the member feels like I was just doing what I would have done anyway and I got points in return for it. And the partner or the supplier looks at it and goes, I got access to a new customer and that new customer is someone who might continue to use our product in the future. And that's when the harmony comes together in in the perfect so that's really why anyone who engages the program would see you get a whole range of different offers so you'll get offers to try a new flavor of coke if you regularly buy soft drink or you'll um, get offers to buy things in the health and beauty category from the partner or supplier perspective they're trying to use these one-to-one channels as a way to encourage um, trial and usage and uplift within their products and then remember if we can get that balance right of whether an offer is either something that you already buy and you um, and you know we already know you're loyal to or within the realm of something that behaviourally feels like you would be interested in, then you get extra value for that in terms of bonus points um, and the partner gets that extra access to new customers that grow or change the dynamic of how their customers behave. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it, we're talking there about partners in terms of the actual membership base and, and how people can earn points um flybys points at a at a technology or, or outreach marketing level are there any key partners that flybys works with and in particular on particular like initiatives or, or aspects of the platform 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got, you know, I mean, as to as all organisations do, we've got a long list of different technologies and integrations that we work with. But we do have some really um, like key partners. And if I look at the marketing side of it, certainly my team we're very heavy users of the Adobe suite. Um, so we're in the marketing cloud at the moment. So we mainly use it from an analytics and audience tracking perspective, and also from a personalization perspective. So they're a really key partner. They're really key to what I was talking about earlier in terms of people to people. Um, matching. So um, they're kind of the linchpin that we use for our publisher relationships and how we actually match data um, for like audience work and for how, how we sell uh, supermarket audiences essentially. Um, in addition to that, we uh, we work quite closely with, I'm trying to think of the others, like we um, work very closely with a number of the publishers. So we work with Nine, we work with Seven, we work with Facebook, obviously. Um, we work with many of the social platforms. Um, all of them in terms of reach and outreach and how we um, run that. From a tech-based technology platform, um, AWS is the platform that we use. So all of our solutions are built on top of AWS and there's a range of different things in that ecosystem that, um, that come together to make the flybys. Uh, like Flyby's offering. Interestingly, when you think about the core loyalty program, so how the Flyby's membership is managed, um, we because we're a 25-year-old company, we actually have what is a custom um, solution in place. We call it FMS. It's our Flyby's, um, uh, Flyby's management system. Uh, that's the heart of things like our points bank, our loyalty currency, and how all of those things are processed. Um, but we are looking at modernising that and what we could do off the shelf or who we could partner with at a grander scale to actually modernise that because as fantastic as it's been for 25 years, it also becomes very unique and you need to train your own people and how to operate and manage it. And um, while it uses known technologies, it's certainly not like going out and, you know, partnering with a sales force or somebody to run your scenario. Um but yeah, there's a range. We also work with uh, Oracle. We use responses. We use, we, <laughs> we use many, many marketing technologies. <laughs> oh, and probably the one <laughs> other key one I should mention is our data warehouse. So we work with Snowflake and Snowflake has been really critical to actually powering kind of um, the future of our data platform. And we're doing some work with our shareholders at the moment where that data warehouse is really critical. I was going to ask what what is in the pipeline? Like you mentioned, obviously, huge undertaking last year. Um, managing to onboard a whole heap of new partners in the past 12 months. What what are the key priorities looking ahead at the next sort of six to 12 months for a digital function? Because as we've heard, digital has become the number one <laughs> most important uh, division within corporates in the past 12 to 18 months. I think most uh, heads of digital have, you know, never had CEOs ring them as often as they have <laughs> during that period. So so what for you and, and what for flybys are you now looking towards? Because obviously it is, is important to stay ahead of the, the curve. Absolutely. And I think so, you know, like priority one is that exact point in terms of um, staying ahead of the curve. And I'm not going to say that we're fully ahead of the curve yet. Um, there's quite a big focus at a member level on um, hygiene level investment to get rid of pain points. So um, I talk about the Flybys app and the Flybys website. Uh, these are all relatively new in our ecosystem in terms of when they were last rebuilt, redeveloped, and they get huge volumes of customers on them. So our app has over 800,000 users a week um, using the app. So we've got this really good base of people that are in there, but we're just starting to see some of the growing pains of, um, you know, uh, less modern approaches to how you deliver technology getting in the way of us fixing pain points. So, you know, fixing basics like 
reasons why people can't log in or um, response time issues in particular areas. So there's a real focus in the member areas to improve some of those basics and just get that experience feeling absolutely um, seamless for a member. Um, then on the data side, there's a really big element of growth. So we've been working over the last um, six months and now going into the next 12 months on our data sharing platform. And so this is essentially the capability that brings together our shareholder retailers. So this is Coles, Kmart, Target, um, Liquorland and Bunnings and Officeworks who are going to launch in about a week's time. Um, they are going to end up on this platform with us in a data sharing ecosystem that allows us to build customer profiles and behavioural insights across the network and the group. Um, and that's where Snowflake comes into play. So um, these data sharing platforms allow for us to do platform to platform real-time share or near real-time share, which essentially means you know, we, we receive transactional information about a customer. Um, we can share it back to another data sharing platform. Um, essentially, we can process that within seconds to provide that data back. Um, so that's more the strategic growth of how do we add more value into our partner network. Um, at the member side, there's a lot of that hygiene work around the experience and how we just improve the quality of what we're doing today. Um, and then on the member side, but facing our partners, there's a really big focus on integrations with our partners. So, you know, Flybys is readily available in Flybys channels today, but we should make it more available directly in the channels that the retailers operate. So if you're a regular customer of Coles Online, you should have a choice whether you come to the Flybys app to find out what Flybys offers you've got or whether you can get that information directly from Coles and its ecosystem. So there'll be a real focus on what services and solutions we provide back to those partners that allow them to deliver Flybys personalization within their own channels. Interesting. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> that that data sharing, I can only imagine the uh, the minefield that is there because all of those partners have their own protocols and platforms and, and partners, et cetera. So I can imagine that is a huge undertaking for you and the team. Yep. <laughs> yes, and that's essentially why we've grown so quickly because, um, you know, if I think about it, when we separated from uh, Coles and my own history, um, digital was one small little team with myself and a few skill sets across the same areas, but, you know, a few skill sets within uh, UX, MarTech and product management. Um, and as we've evolved, Flybys today has eight or nine different squads that are each taking on a different slice of these pieces. And we're involved in all of those squads, but that also essentially means that that's eight or nine different streams who are going after um, a range of priorities based on the part of the business that they're responsible for. Yikes. Yeah, that sounds like quite, a, <laughs> quite an undertaking. I do not envy you. <laughs> um, just just on that then, given that you've had, you know, this substantial growth, um, both as as a function, as a, as a company, as an entity, as a platform, um, what what would you say have been some of the key learnings from from the past sort of 12 or, or even past um 24 months since you separated out of out yep. of Coles. What what would you say are some of the key learnings? And if you could go back and, and redo something with hindsight, is there anything that you would would do differently or, or would tweak uh, to better implement it? Yeah, um, I, I do think that if if I could go back now and address that, we would phase out the scaling over a longer period of time. I think we tried to go from. Um, zero to 100 in terms of team growth too quickly. So, um, you know, as soon as we had our new team structure embedded in the organisation, we tried to build all the teams at the same time. 
um, I think we've learned from that and we're kind of narrowing our focus a little bit more now and realising, you know, trying to add 70 people to your organisation during a pandemic is really hard. <laughs> um, and that's what I would that's what I would fundamentally change. I would narrow these lists down and go, okay, let's start with team A. Let's go after that team. This is their mission. This is their focus. Get them up and running. Get them humming and then move on to team B, team C um, and so on. And that's what I would say kind of to, to anyone going on a similar journey is um, really hone in on your use cases and the priority of those use cases and deliver them like accordingly, like deliver them in a sequential order accordingly because you can absolutely go after all these things at the same time if you've got the funding and the commitment to branch out, but it's very hard to scale that quickly. Um, and we got through a lot of it, but I think we would have got through it in a, you know, I, I, I think we'd be in a better place if we just slowed down a bit on some of the growth targets. And in terms of your um, channels, so the app and the website, et cetera, are there any key things that you're looking at either adding or changing or implementing in the next sort of six to 12 months? Are there any sort of key trends that you're keeping an eye on yep. to make that user experience more pleasant? Yeah, so I'll talk about the app initially, and this is um, – much more of a technical piece, but it's really important to the value that we eventually drive for, for members. One of the things that um, users would notice when they're um, using their apps is that some of the apps they interact with are incredibly um, responsive and fast at adding new features and new capability to those um, apps. And generally, they're the things that have been, you know, digital startups, things that have been built more recently and on more modern approaches. So actually, one of our really big pieces, it doesn't sound very sexy, but for the Flybys app, is actually readdressing that underlying app architecture to, to reset it to drive scale in the future. So, you know, as it works today, if we want to change something in the offers area of the app and we also want to change something in the homepage at the same time, those two teams end up dependent on each other to be able to get that change out to market. So what we want to do is change the underlying architecture of the app to allow more teams to be able to deliver features at the same time. Um, what that will mean once it's in place is that you will see experience changes at scale. You know, you'll see um, regular updates from the Flybys app that are constantly adding experience improvements and changes for our users because we've broken down the way the app is structured at a technical level to allow for more rapid change. Um, so, yeah, not very, not very sexy, but very, very important to then being able to turn around and go, hey, we're going to fundamentally change the office category today and tomorrow we're going to deliver a new dashboard in the home screen and those teams can continue to do that work without kind of tripping over each other. And do any of the um, iOS updates and, and changes in regards to cookies and, and Apple's um, uh, stance, do that, does that impact at all or because you're a member-based platform the, the data is still available to you? Yeah, it, so, so it does, but because of the way our program works, it, it, it impacts us differently. So um, our app is based on uh, logged in authenticated sessions. So from that perspective, it doesn't impact us because everybody is identified and logged in on a first party perspective. Um, but those transparency frameworks and the things that they're adding, they still affect our ability to use channels like push and our ability to um, you know, use location services and those other capabilities. So if, if I take that way back to the earlier conversation around how transparent we are with our members of why we're doing things, we're very focused on um, always asking our members for um, permission or the ability to do something in context with when we're going to be able to deliver them value. So really those iOS changes um, 
have just heightened the focus on when we deliver new features and when we deliver changes. Um, how are we explaining those changes? What options are we giving the member up front? Um, and then how do we embed them? So, yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting one because we have had the same challenges of everyone where it's a bit of guesswork um, with some of the iOS changes as to what the, app, what the impact's going to be when you try to release your next version of, um, of the app. Um, but most of them, as you break them down, you can continue, you know, if you've got a model like us where you're relying on logged in traffic and it's first party, you can continue to make it work. You just have to really invest time and energy in um, explaining that to customers correctly, testing how they're going to respond to that and presenting your message in the right way so they understand why you do what you do. And uh, if uh, just to finish off, if I was to sit down with you again in six months' time and, you know, see how some of these initiatives have, have gone and, and what the, uh, you know, what is success, what does success look like for them, what would you like to say? What would you like you know, members in particular or partners to say about the improvements to those various platforms? Um, so from a member perspective, I'd, uh, I'd 100% it's about people um, rating and loving the Flybys app and that the pain points are gone, that they see it as an app that's always um, like really helpful and handy to them and always uh, always up to date with the things that they need to, to engage with the program. Um, from the partner perspective, I think what we really want to see, because it is about these data platforms, is that partners are talking about um, how much more they understand their customers and the rich insights that they're using to make decisions based off the relationship they've built with Flybys. That what they're getting back from us is such um, rich and useful information, it's helping them improve what they put back in front of customers. Um, these things are definitely coming. I also just, you know, we, like with two big partners launching, we also just want to see everybody really um, active and excited to shopping at these new partners. Um, and I think that that's just like the launch pad for doing greater experiences with some of Australia's big retail brands um, that drive great kind of flybys integration in their stores. Well, Katie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful having you on the Umbrella cast and look forward to seeing some more of those developments as they come to market. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. And that's it for this week. Thank you very much, Liv and Cal, for joining me. We will see you next week. Thanks, Damien. See you then.